1: This is Arjun, I love to win, but as a team, I have found when you put yourself in a position to win big, those wins are easy to sustain over time. In this podcast, what I've learned is because each one of us are different, our paths are different. That's the reason it's truly a pleasure to bring you guests from all walks of life all over the world because those different inputs, when we connect, we find our own path. In that spirit today, my VIP guest is Steve Provo. Steve Provo, a restaurant industry lo- leader who over the last two decades have moved brands, made big impact for Chili's, Maggiano's, Quiznos, Yum brands to take them to the next level. And, you know, I have quite a few times I've had the best seat in the house to watch Steve from close. And the thing that I just want to add a little commentary to that is The bigger the name of the brand, more difficult it is to make an impact because in the consumer's mind, these brands already have a niche. So to me, I really am fascinated to look at is not just one, but continuously how Steve over the last 20 years have made this impact. Currently, he is the president of Mariano's Little Italy and he serves on the board of Make-A-Wish Foundation for North Texas. Steve in previous role was also the chief concept officer for Brinker International, before that chief marketing and innovation officer for Chili's Bar & Grill, and before that president of Maggiano's for eight years. He also has been working, he was a chief marketing officer and executive vice president for Quiznos Masters LLC. And before that 15 years of senior leadership experience at Yum Brands Inc and that itself separates Steve, from the rest of us right there, um, incredible experience in, in high impact roles in marketing, operations, franchise, and concept development for multiple brands. Steve, this is such a pleasure and welcome to Secrets to Win Big.
0: Thank you, Arjun. And frankly, it's just good to catch up with you. So I'm honored to be invited to participate. Absolutely.
1: So to me, let's just go right at the current situation that we are all facing in the current period with COVID-19. And you are back in your new old role with Magianos, one of America's favorite brands. I would bet one of the highest awareness for any brand in that category for the last 30 years. What has been, what's your game plan to take the brand through the current period and you like to win and
0: position the brand to win big. So I was asked by our board of directors to take back on the role of Magianos because you can imagine that Maggiano's is um, um, uniquely challenged by this pandemic time. You have a brand that has the highest net promoter score of all polished casual dining chains that, does, that did pre-pandemic 8 million plus volume in the average restaurant that has five businesses under one roof But it's also a brand where 20% of the sales come from banquets. um, uh, 4% of the sales come from corporate catering to corporations. And two-thirds of the units are based in malls. All three of those things which are at, at worst under attack and at best big question marks as we endure this pandemic. So for me right now and my team... This is really about restructuring the p and and the business model, of the brand, so we can survive and live to fight another day. But probably more important is to do it in a way that we bring the guest and the teammate with us. And um, what I like about a situation like this is it forces you to look at ideas, at fundamentals that, frankly, either um, consciously or unconsciously are off limits in normal times. Um, what scares me a little bit about time like this is you never want to be the woman or man who who does the thing that years from now people say, Well, that restaurant isn't quite as good as it used to be. And so it's finding that balance that's the leadership challenge in front of us. So I just want
1: to broaden that by looking at by saying one is I want to ask you a personal question, is as you're talking about it, three of the main areas of source of business are under attack from this virus. Okay. How are you so positive? Because if I was part of the team, yeah. seeing my leader's face depends, you know, that defines our day. So I want yeah. to ask you two parts of a question is, one is how are you so positive? And secondly, what's one advice you have for other leaders in similar situation in
0: this journey? So the biggest advice I give is something a mentor of mine told me years ago and that uh, David Novak, the CEO of Yum Brands, he used to say that a leader's job is to define reality and offer hope. And so literally a hundred times over the last four months since I've come back from is I've been in a restaurant or talking on a Zoom call, defining reality and offer hope. You need to define reality because the closer you are to the front line in an organization, the more you know what's really going on. And so um, people are looking for leaders who lay it out there. We we have to evolve or else we won't survive. Um, we have the good fortune, our CEO Wyman Robertson, the Chili's brand is just killing it right now. So we have the good fortune to rely on them, but um, but we have to earn our own way. And then um, you have to offer hope. And so you, what you tie it to then is the things we can do that we can control. So while well, it's true that banquets make up 20% of the Magianos business and there's a big question mark right now how how large gatherings people will be gathering in even a year from now. It's also true that Magianos food travels enormously well and we were an early um, innovator more than a decade ago uh, in the off-premise business. And now can we actually, who who had ever thought possible, can we steal share from McDonald's and Chipotle by taking our food to guests in new forms and formats and value that we never thought possible. So that's an example of this formula of you've got to define reality, but then express hope. And I think the other one is involve the team and the solution. I mean, some of our best ideas have come from a server, a cook, a, a person on the front line. My first 40 phone calls the day I came back to this job were to chefs and general managers basically posing them the question of, here's the big picture, what would you do? And some of the best thinking came out of those conversations. So to me, I think, you know, Steve, you and I have both seen in the corporate world,
1: nearly every leader talks about team, everything else. But there's a smaller group who actually walk the talk. And to me, I think that first 40 phone calls is such an incredible example. Like if I was one of the teams, a chef, let's say in Denver tech, getting the phone call from you would not only change my day but everybody in the team. And I want to share something personal about Steve Provo is if you ever get a chance to visit Steve Provo's office, his wall is very unique. I have never been to any leader's office which is filled with pictures of him being with team members, celebrating. It's like frames after frames. So to me, every time I'm in your office, and I'm fortunate, I leave inspired because that is literally my inspiration of walking the talk, not just talk. And thank you for being such an amazing leader. Well, thank you. Thank you, Arjun. I appreciate that. So. So now let's move to as chief concept officer of Brinker, your team launched, it's just names, $150 million in annual sales. And the world did not need, (laughs) but in that particular world, it's literally each one of those dollars are turnover dollars to build that. And that too was done in record time, no major investment. So
0: how did the team come about with that? Well, in that role, I had the good fortune, and again, our Lyman Roberts, our CEO, and our board of directors said we, you know, in the restaurant industry, it's such a challenging industry. We didn't really have anyone thinking about the disruptive trends that are all around us that you acknowledge exists, you go to conferences and hear about, but what are we really going to do? And so I had the privilege. It turned out to be an 18-month assignment. In um, this team, uh, a guy named Jeff Hanex, who, who's one of the world's best chefs, entrepreneurs, um, a guy named Charlie Lusignan, our head of supply chain, um, a very small team. And we sat down and said, can we look at robotics in the kitchens? Can, can we look at actually robotics in front of the house, which is some work we did? Can we look at some of the emerging cook technology to move production outside the restaurants? And the third big area we looked at was this emerging area of ghost kitchens. As you know, I think in the last calendar year there's, there were five billion dollars invested in the United States just in building kitchens to do nothing more than plug into Grubhub or Uber Eats or DoorDash and provide virtual food to hungry guests at home. We had were running our first tests of a ghost kitchen. We actually had a. Uh, uh, a pared down Maggiano's uh, menu running out of a truck in downtown Dallas, the prepped food being supplied from a neighboring restaurant every day. And we realized the limitations of that model so far. The labor required to support it didn't match sales you could get out of what is basically a 15 minute um, trade area, which is as far as the Dasher can drive. And the bell, the, the, um, the, the light bulb went off in my head, and in hindsight, your audience is going to think this is the duh of all time, is why are we looking at new kitchens when we, as a company, Brinker International, already own 1,100 uh, kitchens? And it was one of the coolest things in my um, uh, 30-year career. We were slated to test in Denver and Atlanta uh, uh, one of the concepts we developed called It's Just Swinged. And the pandemic hit. We moved the test to Dallas in three days, our hometown. We ran four weekends uh, on DoorDash. We went from about two deliveries a day to more than 25 deliveries a day across six restaurants. I walked into Wyman Roberts um, office one Monday morning, said, I don't know if you saw this weekend, we grew again just through the DoorDash platform. And he said, why don't we just roll it national? I mean, this is not the time to do the traditional big company thing of run the test for another six months, evaluate pre-post net of control. It's easy to execute. It's differentiated. It it offers a value because we're leveraging the fixed costs in our restaurant that no one can match. Mm -hmm. Let's just go national. And eight weeks later, we were in. 1,100 kitchens and we are now a top 200 restaurant brand and we don't exist in brick and mortar. And um, it taught me a lot about, um, don't wait for the crisis to to do big changes to big things and understand the the business equity and the strengths of your business so that you can take these disruptive trends and layer them over it. Um, In hindsight, Chasing ghost kitchens would have been really dumb when we own 1,100 ghost kitchens across America.
1: Yeah, I love yeah. the uh, of you taking the so-called fad or trend that was there about ghost kitchens, but you created your own path of maximizing on current resources, and that's the fascinating part. When I just really was
0: curious about the no investment part, so. Go ahead, yeah, it helped a lot. I spent the last 18 months really partnering closely with Tony Hsu, Toby Espinoza and the DoorDash team. And you know, when you work side by side with tech leaders, you, you learn two things. One, the power of the network effect, which is in our case, having 1100 kitchens and being able to leverage them. And then two is how fast they move. Uh, everyone inside DoorDash is bonused on a quarterly basis on precise goals. And I thought the restaurant business moved fast, but I learned a lot from them about what speed really is. And speed is one of the few things you as a leader control and you should use it to your advantage. So,
1: you know, I'm still fascinated, you know, I'm
0: just. Yeah, it's a a cool thing. I have to say of all things I've done in 30 years, I feel most, that is a game changer.
1: Yeah. And I just want to look at is anybody in any restaurant listening to this, must be honing in on two things you talked about. You said no major investment and rapid business growth, which is four weeks of testing and boom, going national with current kitchens in eight weeks. This is a dream, literally, it's like people not, this is even a big dream, like it's tough to even dream this big. So what's your advice for anybody who is fascinated by the ghost kitchen side of the business, a few tips that you have for them.
0: I think uh, the two opposite ends of the scale. One is dream big um, because um, because I, I do think this will be a transformative change for the restaurant industry. I think if you're in a segment like casual dining, the good news, the bad news is these restaurants weren't built to bring food to your home. They were built to bring food to table 45. But the really good news is this allows us to play in a in a consumer occasion that has 100 occasions a year, whereas dining out is down to 15 occasions a year pandemic. So you get to play in somebody else's pool, and that should be exciting. On the other hand, completely opposite advice, at DoorDash, Tony Shoe, and it's a tech company that's gone from $7 in sales in 2003 out of $1 dorm room at Stanford Business School to 15 to 17 billion valuation now um, is know your business at the smallest level of detail. You cannot move that fast unless you understand what a cook faces working a fryer in a Chili's or a Maggiano's on a Saturday night. And that's why we were able to go so fast is throughout the entire testing period, we worked every weekend in the restaurants. And I find a lot of marketers, at least in my category, sort of delegate that part of the role or are afraid of that part of the role. And there's nothing that beats that front line um, uh, reality and perception, because um, then you problem solve quickly along the way. And you don't wait for the feedback loop to take its torturous 16 week journey to get back.
1: So to me, that's the part every time I listen to you fascinates me is how you look at impact at every level you started by saying the 40 phone calls now knowing your business as at that level of details what a cook feels in the restaurant and i really think that's the bigger lesson for all of us is being a leader there's no shortcut
0: there is a shortcut and that's why it's exhausting and i will often have young people come to me and say i'm i'm ready for direct reports and I always say, are you ready for headaches? Are you ready for three to seven people who literally look at you every morning and say, are they, is he ever going to do what he said? Uh, is he ever going to do what he says and not what he's asking us to do? And can you make that test every day? Because that's exhausting and hard and it's why leadership is so challenging. Love that.
1: So move back from, honest, Chili's. So to me, Chili's was you know under your leadership, big success, especially in a headwind where casual dining category was getting hit hard, both business-wise and every possible critique is we had been writing that off. So what was the secret for the team to turn that around?
0: So I had the good fortune of going in um, at the depths of its plunge and Chili's had double digit traffic declines and there were a lot of articles being written about that bar and grill was dead for tomorrow's guests. Now Chili's is leading the industry in both sales and traffic growth in the midst of a pandemic. And I think um, for me, the big learning was again, be bold, don't wait for a crisis to be bold. The first thing we did is, and I hadn't been in a traditional marketing job in 10 years. So I had a lot to learn. We cut the menu by a third. Um, It was clear to me after one night in a restaurant that there was a gap between the complexity of the menu and the capability of the execution, Um, and that had become endemic to the category. So We cut the menu by a third. We we restructured our entire media model. We were clinging to the mass media model just because it had built the category, and we knew deep down inside that that was irrational. but we just decided to rip the band-aid because what did we have to lose when you're bleeding 11% traffic? And we just shifted almost overnight a majority or a big chunk of our spend to digital. And then the third thing that we did is we invested um, in off-premise and everyday value. Everyday value was something that we knew we had to do. It's so painful because it crushes the p and you and you get nervous. Can we actually make it up in the traffic? We have a great team, and they figured out the formula to make it unique to Chili's and to work. Um, And then off-premise and carry out and delivery, that was a series of little wins, a lot of investments in technology that were stubbed toes when they happened. We literally launched and relaunched three different loyalty programs, each one more painful than the next until we got it right. So I guess the takeaways there are, don't wait for a crisis to be bold with your business challenge. Two, um, you know when you're kidding yourself on something like the transformation of, a, of, a, of media in the United States, you know when you're, I call it trying to steal second, but you want to keep your foot on first. And so don't be afraid to, to try that. Um, and then the third is um, um, make sure you bring the frontline executors with you and make sure, I always tell my team, and in fact, I'm going through that right now with my team. If the guest isn't shocked or scared in the focus group, then you probably don't have a big enough idea. On on value, it, it took us three times because we weren't being bold enough and clear enough and clean enough with the guest. And on loyalty, it took us three times because we we weren't leading with the guest. We finally figured out on loyalty and casual dining, at least, that people were so tired of points programs they didn't really follow them they couldn't tell you what was in them so we basically said we'll give you something every time you come to the restaurant and then it became just a mathematical equation of what can we give you that we can afford but um it it was the consumer insight that that was there that really led us to the game changer on that and i'm just very proud now of how the chili's brand is sustaining this growth and um and now the articles are being written about wow, Barn Grill is well positioned for the digital economy that's before us. Just for a follow-up question, you talked about
1: unique value because in the restaurant industry, most of us look at value to be discount taking from the numerator, and that's like the kiss of death. So how did you come up with the unique value of the brand?
0: We we did research and we talked to a lot of guests. We concluded that what makes casual dining differentiated from fast food and more important, fast casual, because fast casual was eating our lunch, was that um, you, get, you can get a full meal. You can get a drink and an appetizer and uh, an entree, and you can add a dessert. So we made our value structured around that. And then We let the guests tell us where the magic price point was. The guests basically said Chipotle and Panera have been raising their prices. So $10, I I prefer Chili's. But at $10, I not only would prefer Chili's, I would go to Chili's because then it might be cheaper than my all-in costs at Panera or Chipotle. And we've held that price point now for three years of you get three for 10, a, a, a soft drink, and, an, uh, and a salad or an appetizer and an entree, then it just becomes the food cost management of how do you, how do you reset your food costs to have a chance to make the incrementality work. And um, you know, it's funny, if you do one and two right, three is easier than you think. Love that. So to me, you started
1: your career in restaurant branding and marketing. And even now as you're leading brands, at the core, there is this amazing marketing and branding guide. So if you have to give advice to anybody starting a career in restaurant marketing, what is a common myth that you would like to debunk and give them that advice?
0: Um, the, I think the biggest myth I would say first is that you can win um, by copying. This is a, this, I love this industry I've been in this industry since I was a dishwasher at 16 in and out of it but um but it's a copycat industry everyone reads the same trade magazines listens to the same podcast watches the same innovation either experiences it in the restaurant or sees it on TV or on the internet and I think The myth is that you can really borrow your way to success. Now, the truth is there are no new ideas. All great ideas are truly two ideas that have never been crossed before. So I'm not saying don't study your competitors, but I am saying that ultimately your solution to value or convenience is going to be unique to your brand and be be deliberate and disciplined about finding that solution that is unique to your brand. It will reflect a trend that's occurring, but the answer will only apply to your opinion.
1: So if you did not follow this current career, which started in restaurant marketing and then evolved to leading, you know, these mega brands, what would your career would have been like? Do you ever think about what would Steve Pro have been doing
0: today? Well, I think you know, Arjun, that I uh, my first passion, <laughs> it's hard to say this at this polarized moment in town, is is um is politics. And I had the great privilege at 29 years old of being the chief speechwriter for HW Bush. Um, At that time, it was kind of a crazy thing that I was plucked from the PR person for Kentucky Fried Chicken to work for him. I think if I wasn't in um in food marketing i probably would be in politics and that but that's saying something because that's a very challenging arena to be in at this time but like restaurants and one of the reasons i love politics and restaurants is these are businesses that attract millions of consumers every day and the human psychology behind them is fascinating and that's how i do think the two are linked together And also, I think you know, I'm so glad you mentioned about
1: H.W. And those were different times. It didn't matter different times, yeah. Republican or a Democrat, you know, there was this amazing respect for a man who was such an incredible, you know, fact definer for all of us. So truly appreciate you talking about it. So you're listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun. Today, my VIP guest is Steve Provo, a respected restaurant industry leader who, over the last two decades, has moved brands like Chili's, Marijuana's, Prisoners, and Yum Brands to the next level. And all through in the first half of the conversation, there's this common thread is for Steve, success, he never takes it for granted. He builds it literally from ground level, connecting to team members. The first 40 calls were to team members. His level of knowledge of what it takes for every person in the kitchen. And I really feel that that some of us may call it old-fashioned, but that is what works because those connections are real. Steve, this last question is about rapid questions, three to seven word answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So one is let's go beyond restaurant marketing because I really believe a leader like you would have been successful in any other path of the world, any other business. So what's your advice? One advice to anyone in any walk of life to be a successful leader um make sure you never ask people to do something that you wouldn't do yourself love that this reminds me when i was talking to lane cardwell another amazing brinker leader Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. alumnus Never hired somebody for his team who he himself would not work for (laughs) i guess that's you know same things at different ways amazing
0: advice how do you define a big win It starts with the consumer. Does it break through the massive clutter we live in? And then does it achieve your financial objectives and sustain?
1: And love the order. So, what's one reason business failed to win big in today's world?
0: Um, They don't think big enough. Uh, The the, um, big changes to big things are what really move the needle, and small changes to big things create the illusion of progress, and that is so dangerous.
1: Yeah, and I was talking to a tech leader. He also explained to me there's a difference between R&D and innovation. R&D is finding something new. Innovation is when you take that idea to the marketplace, somebody is willing to pay or there's a social need without which even so many times digital transformation is all people think is adding new technology. No, not upgrading to a new iPhone is not digital. You know, So again, very
0: well
1: well said so most leaders i work with they rule out some obstacles like athletes i work with they some of them literally remove the word no from their dictionary what's the
0: word not in steve provost dictionary uh, this will take too long <laughs> um you know i think you control the pace and speed of your organization love that and the proof is eight weeks new idea answer, on a virtual brand yep mm-hmm.
1: virtual brand won't forget that so, if Steve from twenty twenty could go back in time to meet young Steve, the kid who is just graduating from high school, what would be one piece of advice you will give that kid? Up?
0: Look around. I've always had an enormous work ethic, but I think both at work and at home, you know, to look around and enjoy and learn. Um, you know, I have the privilege of working on great teams, but there is a world beyond your teams, and I haven't always done a good job of seeing that. So me seeing a pattern of success
1: in mega brands leading big teams that has to be a process because what i find is big success cannot be random you know randomly you can win a lottery but you cannot so is there a ritual that the first thing steve provo does when he starts his work day last thing he does that you're comfortable sharing
0: it's not so much daily um uh, like i'm I lean creative As a result, like a lot of creative people, organizations, my my challenge, I did a stint in operations and learned a process where every um, six months I write out my life goals, write out the tactics to achieve the goals underneath it and reevaluate every six months. I learned that from Alwyn Lewis, started as a cook at at a fast food restaurant in Houston, went on to be on the Disney board and uh, forever grateful for that discipline of time management.
1: And I love that how you bring life because work is important, but life is more important. So now this is a very important question. If you could step in my shoes, what would be one question you'll ask
0: Steve Provo that I didn't? Uh, um, Is there a formula for consumer success?
1: So Steve, this question I, I ask, it makes me feel very smart. Steve Provo, is there a formula for consumer success?
0: 30 years ago, when I was a corporate speechwriter, I had the privilege of working on a speech with a guy named Roger Enrico, who at 35 years old became chairman of the Pepsi-Cola company. The speech had this simple formula. It was called the tyranny of incrementalism. And it, it had that formula of small changes to small things, waste of time. Big changes to small things have lots of them small changes to big things, the most dangerous thing imaginable creates the illusion of progress, but big changes to big things, that's how you make the consumer notice and change your business. And I think if leaders just kept that four-part theory in mind, Roger is no longer with us, but it's the greatest business theory I've ever seen. And this is also, does
1: this thing the part go for the changes and look for those big changes.
0: Steve, anything else you would love to share? Arjun, it is an honor to see you as one of the people who, um, you know, in the restaurant industry is well known by everyone. I'm glad to see that you're alive and doing well in these crazy times. And so thanks for inviting me here today.
1: Absolutely, and remind me, all is good. So thank you, Steve Provo. So to me, this was a very fascinating conversation because many a time when we listen to a leader like Steve Frovo and see the pattern of success, either we look at by saying he's lucky or he has an amazing team. But when we dissect, what we realized was there's a formula, there's a pattern and the success sustains only because Steve starts with offering hope but then he connects at an individual level to deliver. And it is knowledge that creates that whole hearing sensation. And if there's two things I take from this conversation, I will not forget that when he takes this job at Maggiano's, he's back in that role, the first 40 calls he made were to team members. Like to me, that is a lesson that any newbie in this career needs to put it on a post-it because if Steve, I was starting my career, I would have done that every time. You know, Why did you not tell that to me before? But again, (laughs) we'll talk about it another day. To me, the same thing also follows it's not a one time. As Steve goes through, he knows every small details of the business. The thing that Steve said at least six times is be bold, don't wait for a crisis, because if there's a crisis, it just will, you know, you are best prepared. And finally, dream big, act big, live like never before. And the proof of that was, as Steve took a small part of the Chili's team to start thinking about how to go into the ghost kitchen, he could very easily have taken the floor plan or the roadmap that all other brands were going through. There were a lot of questions asked why and what they found was their own path to create one of the top 200 restaurant chains with no brand recognition before, literally out of nowhere. And right now is booming success. Again, Steve Provo, thank you for sharing. Thanks for all of you to listen to this incredible discussion. Please subscribe, share, and review the podcast with friends. And I'm excited in the next episode to bring you another leader with another part of the world. Again, happy listening.
0: Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Arjun. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts,
1: visit c-suiteradio.com.